Good morning. What a great morning. Really, this is wonderful. I think we just got a very, very small taste of heaven where just to think about 10,000 times 10,000 angels and more, you know, the book of Revelation, it's just telling us it's innumerable. We're not going to be able to count them. It's going to be uh, amazing, amazing. And what a great thing we've got to look forward to, all because of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Of course, we'll be talking about him today. And uh, in the context of his living Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. We have been uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. You heard when uh, Cameron prayed earlier, Lord, stir up that gift, uh, quoting from 2 Timothy, where Paul had uh, just really encouraged Timothy, stir up that gift that's within you. Or other uh, English versions, fan the flame of that gift that's within you that Paul said, you received when I laid hands on you. This is a promise. It's a guarantee, the Holy Spirit, promised by Jesus as a gift. And that promise, it's still in effect today. Still in effect for all who come to Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, uh, the New Testament speaks of it in a variety of ways. But it's it's the, the Spirit of God living in us. And we talked about over the past number of weeks and considered uh, some of the believers who are in the city of Ephesus, who uh, they were asked by Paul the Apostle, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And the point being there that this is a definite, distinct experience, receiving the Holy Spirit. And we read from Acts 19 where Paul tied it with baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He asked these uh, men from Ephesus, how were you baptized? And he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was the promise that uh, Peter had declared on the day where the first believers uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit, that uh, Pentecost day, that feast day of the uh, Jewish people where they're celebrating the harvest and these believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did uh, Peter say to all those who questioned what's going on? How, how is this? What's it all about? What do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the connection again. And he said, get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Same thing that was occurring in Acts 19, which was 20-some years later, where Paul said, how were you baptized? Did you even know about the Holy Spirit? No, we don't know anything, they said. And he said, well, get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter had said. It's the promise. He said, it's a promise for you and for all them who are far, far off, even as many as the Lord would call. And that's us. And so there is this great gift of the Holy Spirit that's uh, available and uh, God's ready to give it to all who come to Christ. And it, what, a, what a great thing it is. I, just think about it. I can't comprehend it, this idea that the living God, the creator of the universe, would seek to indwell us. That is amazing. We heard earlier that the word awesome comes to mind. The true sense of being awe, in awe, trembling, 
that God would put his living Holy Spirit within us. It's astonishing. It's humbling. Amazing. Amazing. And yet, we have talked about this can be neglected, this gift. We could put this, the gift of the Holy Spirit aside, receive the gift, and then just let it stand there. We talked about that. And sort of put the Holy Spirit on the sidelines in our life, uh, up on a shelf, kind of collecting dust. The Bible even speaks of quenching the Holy Spirit so we can receive the gift. But what are we doing with the gift of the Holy Spirit? Are we accessing this fantastic gift in our lives? So we talked about that. We talked about uh, applying the encouragement that Paul gave to his friend to stir up this gift, to fan the flame of that gift within us, get the fire burning of the Holy Spirit again in our heart instead of quenching it out or putting it aside. Let's blow it into a great hot, hot fire because the Holy Spirit is a great power within that we have available to us. And we can know uh, that it's a promise. We can be confident. It's guaranteed. We talked about this, that greater is he that's within us. That's a guarantee. Greater is the Holy Spirit within us than he that's in the world, the enemy, Satan, who, who would seek to destroy. We have life within us, not the destroyer. Great, great gift indwelling us. It's the power of God within us. And now, how does, that, how does that transfer to daily life? We can talk about it in all of its great kind of uh, theology, if you will. But how does it really come through in, in our daily life when our Christianity and our faith is confronted, when we're having the strain between the desires of our own selves, our selfish desires, and really the desires of what God would have for us, the desires of the Spirit? How does this play out? How do we uh, apply this in our life? The, the fact that our wills will clash with the will of God, that's true. It happens to every single one of us. It's the human experience. It's the Christian's experience. We know that. We are going to be confronted, pulled, and, and tossed about, if you will. We'll have crises of faith. What do we do? Well, we find a vivid reminder of this idea of a faith crisis in uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In the seventh chapter, Paul just kind of transparently pours his guts out about this, this clash he has between uh, the human life, the life uh, that's pulling us in all these directions, and his, his spiritual life, the, the life in the spirit. And verse number 19 in uh, Romans chapter 7, it really just kind of encapsulates his, his thoughts. Paul wrote in Romans seven nineteen, For I do not... Do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. There's the crisis, there's the clash, there it is. And this is the greatest writer of the New Testament. My goodness, if he can be struggling with life, we all can. We all can. This happens to all of us. He made the point several times in Romans chapter 7. I want to do good, I want to do good, but I keep doing evil. And the evil that Paul did, he plainly labeled. He called it a very straightforward word, sin. And we don't really like the, the word. We don't want to be called sinners. But Paul said, uh, this is it. It's, it's sin. And no matter how hard he tried, no matter how hard he tried, he could not keep from sinning. 
And he said, I can't follow the law perfectly. Nobody can. He talked about the law, the commandments of God, keeping them. Well, of course, in his heart, and he wanted to keep the commandments, but he couldn't do it. He, he'd fail. He'd, he'd fall. So legalism wasn't the answer to his sin problem. He put it out there. Here's the law, but following it to the letter, nobody can do it. Legalism's not the answer. What could he do? What was there to be done? How could he deal with the acts of evil that he was doing that he didn't want to do? He seemed almost hopeless at the end of Romans chapter 7. He wrote Romans 7, chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sin, the desires of the flesh, they're in, in the words of the apostle, death. A body of death. But he had the answer. He had the answer to the sin issue. He was just kind of pouring out his guts, giving his, his personal experience, the struggle that he had. But he had the answer to not doing the evil that he didn't want to do. Wanting to do good, but yet falling and committing the evil deeds. Verse number 25, he wrote, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he went on with the explanation. Well, I have Jesus. Now let me, let me tell you a little bit about it. That's what he, he's writing to the Roman church. The, the next chapter, he flipped the page. Romans 8, verse number 1. After he closes out saying, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing line of scripture. For the law, okay, the legalism, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Not the law that, that was written down. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now he's starting to explain some things. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law that was written down, all these commandments, it, it, nobody could keep it perfectly. So he says, what the law couldn't do to perfect us, because nobody can do it, God, uh, God could do it. God could do it. God has done what the law could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is Paul getting at here? What is this about? Does it make any sense? He's saying in Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness of sins. That's why he could say, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've come to Christ, repent it. You've been forgiven, forgiven of your sins. And to be in Christ, then there, you are free from this death penalty, the penalty of sin. It, it's not going to be done by perfectly keeping the commandments and all of the law. Because again, Nobody could ever perfectly keep the law. Paul alluded to another law, didn't he? Paul alludes to this, the law of the spirit of life. Death, trying to keep all these commandments, 
desiring to do it, but yet failing. Life, coming to Christ, saying, you know, Jesus, I can't do it. I do want to turn from my sin. I do repent of my sin, but I come to you and I receive your uh, gift, the gift that you did, you paid my penalty. The law of the spirit of life, that law in Christ Jesus sets you free, Paul said, from the death penalty. And how so? Jesus, 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 Jesus. God sent his own son, the apostle wrote. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. There's one distinction. We all live in this. The likeness of sinful flesh, it is the sinful flesh. Jesus was sent in the flesh and in the blood. One difference between all of us and Jesus. He didn't sin. Not one time. Jesus did not sin. The only one who could perfectly keep the law of God. So he condemned sin in the flesh because he committed no sin. And he fulfilled what Paul wrote, the righteous requirement of the law to atone for my sin and your sin and all of us who've fallen short. What is this righteous requirement to atone for sin? It's a life. That's the righteous requirement that atones for sin. It's a life. For the people of the Old Testament, it was the life of a lamb. And that's why Jesus was called the Lamb of God. He gave his life as the righteous requirement of the law. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. And God the Father, in essence, said this. It's done. It's finished. I receive this, what Jesus did, as the, the payment for the penalty of sin. There's no more sacrifice required, ever, ever. No more. It's not necessary. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled, and it's fulfilled in us, the apostle wrote. When we repent of our sin and we receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and then he wrote, we walk not according to the flesh. We walk not according to the flesh. Why? Because the walk of the flesh is sin and death. This is what Paul was writing about. But the righteous requirement of the law, it's fulfilled in us, and we walk according to the Spirit not according to the flesh. What is he getting at here with this word walk? Paul writes, walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Walk, in Romans chapter eight, verse four, it's, it's simply a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for living life. It's really very straightforward. It's, it's easy to understand, especially for those of the first century. Think about that first century audience Paul was writing to. No cars, no bicycles. I mean, might, they might have had a little cart or something. Somebody might have had a cart. They, maybe they had a donkey, perhaps a horse. The upper echelon of society, maybe they had a chariot. But most people walked. They walked everywhere they needed to go. You know what? They didn't need a smartwatch back in the day to count their steps. They were getting plenty of steps because life was a walk. Life was walked. And so it was a very easy 
concept to understand where Paul is comparing life to a walk. Walking, it's a journey. In the Greek word that Paul used, it's uh, a, this word, it's peripateo. Peripateo, and it simply means walk. It's a very simple word. It was a very common word. In the New Testament, this word peripateo, it's in there about a hundred times. And almost half the time, which it's in the Gospels, the four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, almost half the time, it's just simply describing a walk. We might read about Jesus and his disciples walking from city to city. That's peripateo. We read that Jesus might say to somebody, take up your mat and walk. Simple, simple word, peripateo again. Just get up and walk. Nothing really special about it. It's just that simple word that we would, in our English, just say walk. But Paul uses it differently. Over 30 times in his letters, he never uses it to describe the physical act of walking. He's using it as a metaphor to denote life in and life with and life by the Holy Spirit. It's a walk. Or he might give the contrast, the walk of sin, the walk of human desires, the walk of the flesh, the way of the world. So he uses this word as a metaphor in the spirit or in the flesh. And when he writes specifically, walk in the spirit, He's making a point. Paul made a point. And what's the point? We are as much a natural body, a natural walking body, as we are a spiritual body, a spiritual person. We operate in the natural. Yes, we do. Indeed, we do. We all do. We operate in the five senses. See, feel, hear, touch, taste. We operate in the natural, of course. But Paul He wrote in just about every single one of his letters some form of walk in the Spirit because we are spiritual beings too. We are. You can recall a few weeks ago when we talked to the prophet who said to his helper, there are more with us than are with them. And he opened the eyes of his helper to see all these spiritual beings around We're spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. And Paul wrote, walk in the spirit. Think again of the average first century person who they had to walk everywhere. No getting in the car. They could understand life was a walk, step by step. Life is is like that, this metaphor of walk. It's like a journey That's walked out step by step, gradual. Life is gradual. It progresses. It's continual. It's ongoing. That's the way time works. Time works seconds to minutes to hours to weeks, days, months, years. Gradual, but it always progresses. The journey continues. When Paul wrote Walk in the Spirit, it implied that spiritual life, it's as much as natural life. Spiritual life is ongoing. Spiritual life is continual. It should be progressing. It should be advancing. And we need the influence of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God for the guidance 
and the support and the counsel of this journey we call life. If we're walking in the Spirit, let's, let's tie into the counsel and the support and the help of the Spirit of God. We need that influence continually, ongoing, every day as we progress in life. If we are to live as what Paul wrote, one who has been delivered from this body of death, to live out the law of the spirit of life, then walk according to the spirit. And that is live every single day relying on the Holy Spirit. We are natural beings, absolutely, but we're also spiritual beings. And as Christians who have been obedient to the word of God, people who have repented and been baptized and we've received this great, wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. We are spiritual beings with the Holy Spirit, the living God indwelling us. The Holy Spirit's not something to ignore or put aside or just go to when we're in trouble. Hey, uh, I'm having a terrible, terrible day, month, year, whatever. I'm in trouble. Now I'll go to the Holy Spirit. Now I'll look for the guidance in the council. No, every day. Good times, bad times. Always, always tie in to uh, the Spirit. It's, that's the daily picture of this walk of life. And it's a principle. It's a principle that the apostle wrote about to the Roman church. And as I said, Paul, in most all of his letters, he wrote similar things to the church in Corinth, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Thessalonica. Paul wrote these these very similar words about walking in the Spirit. He did so to the churches in Galatia. Paul made the point to them, too, he, he made the point about this principle of spiritual life. And I want to touch on that, how he wrote to the Galatian church because he wrote about the principle and then he wrote more. It gives us a little insight more into the daily application of living with the Spirit of God directing us, this idea of the walk in the Spirit. Paul wrote to the Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. But I say... Walk by the Spirit. There it is again. He uses it, as I said, in, in many of his letters. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Sounds just like what he wrote in Romans chapter 7. But in Romans chapter 7, he was writing of his own experience. He was writing of his own life. Here to the Galatians, he presents this principle of life. Walk by the Spirit. And it's a little now different than the life experiences he wrote about. He wrote that he struggled. I don't do what I want to do. I do the things that I shouldn't. I'm doing the evil instead. But here he's not writing about his own experiences. He's, he's addressing this Galatian church and how they were living. And many were doing evil. Many were tying into the works of the flesh. It was, a, it was a problem. They were following after the desires of the flesh. And we know, Paul's written it several times, those are in opposition to the Spirit. Our desires, our flesh, our selfishness. 
It's in opposition to the Holy Spirit. So Paul wrote again, walk by the Spirit. He used that common word for walking, peripateo. There it was again. I say, walk by the Spirit. Peripateo, by the Spirit. He's using that uh, metaphor. Include the Holy Spirit in your daily journey. and, And what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, that's Romans at the end of seven, the beginning of chapter eight, how he uh, explained things. And the Galatians needed this reminder too. They needed this reminder about this principle of life because it seems they were off following after so many things in the flesh. But they needed some specifics. They needed specifics. And Paul got specific with them. He wrote on. He wrote the principle, verse 16, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And now we continue, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity or hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I think the Galatian church was going through some things, eh? Sounds kind of like the culture we're living in. Not, Not too much different. And then Paul wrote, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, sounds like Romans 8. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now to these Galatians, Paul, he was getting down to where the rubber meets the road, if I could throw in another metaphor. He, he wrote a list of the works of the flesh, and he noted they're evident. We can see them. They're obvious. Those who do such things, and a better rendering would be those who practice these things, those who make a habit of these things, those who live these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It was a stern warning to the Galatians. And really, it's a stern warning to everyone. And Paul didn't stop, though, did he? He didn't stop at the works of the flesh. He didn't stop at those specifics. He went on with a list of what he called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you are Christ's and if you belong to him, put to death the desires of the flesh. Paul invokes a very powerful image, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Crucify these things. Then he completed the thought with this line, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now in some of your Bibles, You will read, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk with the Spirit. But Paul, he did not use this word, peripateo, 
here in verse number 25. No, he used an entirely different word. He used a different type of walking, a word that describes a different type of walking, and it was not the common form of walking. It was much more specific. Some Bibles do put the word walk in there, but others say things like we read, keep in step. If we live by the Spirit, that's the general principle. That's what he put in verse 16, the general principle. Live by the Spirit. Make it your daily walk. If we parapateo with the Spirit, let us also be more precise. So now he's saying, be a little bit more precise. He had given lists of specifics. Specifics of living life in the flesh. Specifics of being led by the Spirit. And he uses this not-so-common Greek word to tell us what this specific is. As a matter of fact, this word, it's, it's only found about five times in the New Testament. It's a, a word called stoicheo. Now, stoicheo, five times in the New Testament, only one time, only one time is a metaphor for life. And it's specific. The works of the flesh, specific. The works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, they are specific. And that fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a result. It's an effect. And it's not my fruit. I, 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 it might be nice if it said the fruit of Pat, but it doesn't. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. It's not based on my efforts. It's not based on me following the law or any one of us. It's not our fruit. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the fruit of the Spirit's evident. These are the spiritual effects of a spiritual life evidenced in the natural. We're spiritual people. But these things are evidenced in the natural. And it's an amazing thing. Live a life in the spirit. That's the general statement. But practice a specific type of walk. Stoicheo. Not this general peripateo. Yes, we, we generally must live in the spirit. We must have this daily walk. But now something more specific. You know, if I say walk, think of just an English example. I say walk, you understand it. You'll picture something in your mind. What if I say swagger? What if I say strut? You see something entirely different in your mind, don't you? Shuffle, saunter, prance. These are all types of walking, but they're distinct. They're specific forms of walking. Stoicheo is a specific form of walking. And what does it mean? It means orderly walking. It's derived from a word uh, from the military, uh, a military force marching in rank, keeping an even cadence, uh, staying in line, remaining in formation. You ever see a military uh, march or perhaps a marching band, very similar. Everyone's keeping in step. They know what they're doing. Another meaning of this word is following in the footsteps of another. Paul used the, the word in Romans chapter 4. One of, the, one of the other five times in the New Testament, Paul used this word stoicheo in Romans chapter 4 to describe faithful Jews. He said they stoicheoed, they followed in the footsteps of their father Abraham. They were following in footsteps. I walked out to my shed the other day after all the snow. 
walked out to the shed, get a shovel, come back, do some things. Later in the day, I need to go back into my shed. I don't have my boots on. I got to get to the shed. What am I going to do? What did I do? Well, I didn't walk in the snow. No, I, I walked in the footsteps that were already there, carefully, orderly. Why? I didn't want my shoes and my socks getting filled with snow. I didn't want my feet to freeze. I didn't want them to get all wet. It would be uncomfortable. It would be painful. So I walked in the footsteps that were already there. I had no desire to step outside into the freezing snow. And this is this image Paul's laying down. Soikeo. He wrote, I, I say walk. I walk. Peripateo by the Spirit. But also stoikeo. Keep in step. Walk in the footsteps of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And what will the result be? Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Again, not my fruit, not our fruit, not the fruit of the flesh, but the very fruit of Almighty God who, who is cultivating spiritually and yet it's demonstrated in the natural. So, now what are the footprints of the Holy Spirit? So you, you just might ask, okay, you put that out there. What are the footprints of the Holy Spirit? How do I follow? What do I follow? Where are they? Well, we know for certain where the, where the footsteps of the Holy Spirit do not lead. We know for certain they do not lead to sexual immorality or impurity or sensuality or idolatry, uh, hostility, strife, envy, all those things that Paul listed. Those are not following in the footsteps of the Holy Spirit. The footprints of the Holy Spirit lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and those fruit are demonstrated in those who are following in the footsteps carefully, orderly, not a swagger, not a strut, but an orderly walk, an even cadence, staying in line, remaining in formation with the Spirit of God. See, part of the stirring up of the gift, stirring up the gift of the Holy Spirit, fanning the flame of the Holy Spirit, is getting our walk in order, getting it in order, getting it right. And the footprints of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, they're right here. They are laid out for us. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And, and the footprints of Jesus Christ, they're given to us. Right here in his word, Jesus put down a pattern for us to follow. And we talk about it all the time. We, we had a series last year of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. How to properly apply what Jesus was teaching, all the new ethics he was teaching regarding keeping the law and the commandments, a different way, a spiritual way, if you will. A few weeks ago, I asked you, when was the last time that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were working in you? When was the last time you were praying in the Spirit? When was the last time you were praising God in the Spirit? These are awesome, wonderful practices. But they can kind of become a spiritual swagger. They can kind of become a spiritual strut if that's all that we're doing with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you were in the word of the Spirit, which sets down an orderly pattern for you to follow? When was the last time you were walking in the Spirit? Yeah, we can praise in the Spirit. Wonderful. We can pray in the Spirit. Wonderful. We need to walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. 
I close with this from Luke chapter 24. Two men were walking. Two men were walking, and the resurrected Jesus came to walk with them, and they did not recognize him. Luke chapter 24, verse 17. And he, Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. The Holy Spirit of the resurrected Jesus was right there with him, with, with, with them. And he is with us on our walk. There's Jesus walking with these two. And guess what? They didn't recognize him. Are we recognizing him? Are we recognizing the Holy Spirit on our life journey, on our walk? Where are we in, in, in following in his footsteps? Are we following, or, or is we, are, are we like these two men who are standing still, looking sad? They, there they were, looking sad. They had Jesus right next to them. They began to walk with Jesus, and as they walked, verse 27 there in Luke 24 says, Jesus interpreted to them all that was in this right here, all that was in the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wow. And then they stopped for a moment to eat, and Jesus broke bread, and they recognized him. It says he broke the bread and blessed it, and they immediately recognized Jesus was with them. And then this, Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Stir up the gift. Fan the flame. May it burn within you like it burned within these men who are walking with the spirit of the living God who is opening up the scriptures to them. Listen, if you're, not, if you're not getting into the word of God to find the footsteps that you ought to be following, the, the pattern of life laid down by Jesus, fan up that flame, get back into this word. Get your hearts burning, get it burning like these two men. Open up the scripture, it sets down the pattern for life. And now let's do what these two men did. Let's do what they did as they walked with Jesus. They broke bread. Let's break bread. Let's break bread. Let's remind ourselves of the righteous requirement of the law that Jesus accomplished for every single one of us. He went to the cross and he died for us and he gave his life. And let's celebrate that this morning as we, as we stir up this gift that's within us. Stir up the gift. Fan the flame. Yeah, we ought to be praising in the Spirit. We ought to be praying in the Spirit. But let's also be walking in the Spirit daily, every single day. And let, let, let's get that, that, that word of God just burning within us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, 
Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with re- if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So we're going to sit before the table of the Lord, and all who uh, have received Christ, received His sacrifice, are welcome to sit at the table of the Lord. We only we ask that you don't. Uh, Put something on little children that they can't comprehend or understand the idea that Christ died for us. Let's wait until, until that proper time. But for us who've heard the word and we, we're, we, we've got the bread, we're reminded to examine ourselves. You know, repentance can re- rekindle the flame. If, if the flame of the Spirit has been kind of dulled in your life or that gift has been set aside. Are you discerning the body of Christ rightly? We are encouraged by the word of God to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity, a great grace of almighty God to open our hearts before him. The apostle wrote it down. He wrote down a chapter for us to read where he just spilled out his heart. If you've got to spill out your heart before God right now, do it. Do it. Discern his body rightly. And let's all do that. Let's just take a few minutes to examine ourselves and think about Jesus, the righteous requirement of the law. He gave his life to pay for our sin. Think about that as you examine your hearts before we bless and eat this bread. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to look inside of our own hearts, to examine ourselves as your word advises. God, if we have been falling short, desiring to do what's good and yet doing the evil, Lord, we take time now to just confess that before you. Uh, We desire this great gift of the Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts and to keep us bearing fruit for you, your fruit, not the fruit of the flesh, but this, this fruit that the Lord, you've said there's no law against it. God, may we be people who are walking with you daily and also keeping in step orderly following 
Lord, may it be our desire to follow if we've, if we've strayed. May it be our desire to follow. Forgive us, Lord. Help us. Encourage us. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Now hold your bread high as we bless it. Father, thank you for the bread of life. Christ Jesus, our Lord, the righteous requirement of the law. He gave his life. He went to a cross willingly to pay the price for our sin. And we're grateful for that. You've asked us to remember that every time we break the bread and drink the cup. So we do that, God, and we honor Jesus for being our sacrifice. May we never take him for granted. We thank you for him. Please bless this bread unto us as we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's eat together. Hold, hold the cup as we ask God's favor and blessing on it. Father, this is the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ representing his blood, the blood of the new covenant. Cup of blessing which we bless. Thank you for the blood of Christ that doesn't just hide our sins but washes them away as far as the east is from the west. It's a great gift. We thank you for it. May it be a blessing to us as we receive it, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I invite you all to stand. We're going to sing a song. It's called Rescuer, right? It's about the one who is and made the righteous requirement of the law for us. He rescued us by doing what he did. He went to the cross. Let's close singing it and praising him too. We had a great, great time of praise this morning. Let's leave with a good, good time of praise. Thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray all of us would continue to walk in you, walk with you, be guided, directed, walk in the footsteps carefully of the spirit of the living God who dwells within us. Help us to fan that flame, stir up the desire for more of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask that for every single person here, everyone who's joining online for you. God, to pour out afresh and anew, fill their cup to overflowing with the Spirit of God. Thank you, God. Now bless your people. Bless your people and raise your hands for the blessing. God, bless your people. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes all of our understanding keep every heart and mind and soul 
through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.